excited to tune in this week. Now, are you ready? Let's take another drink. So let's, uh, we're just going to look at a, at a Christmas passage real quick, and uh, I'm going to take the shortcut, not the long way. Luke chapter 2, um, very familiar scripture. We're going to hone in on one little piece that uh, the Holy Spirit just kind of brought into my spirit this week as I was studying and praying, and um, it's kind of, I think it gets overlooked a lot, even though it's important. So Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. Amen? So very familiar scripture. But I want us to hone in on verse 9. It doesn't get a lot of attention because people skip ahead to verse 10 and start preaching. But there's something important in verse 9. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and then notice this, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Everybody just say, the glory of the Lord. Father, open our hearts to this this morning. I thank you so much, God, for precious times in your presence when we worship. Um, we always tell you that you can have all the time you want, and we mean it here. And so we thank you for just times to sit with you like that, just a beautiful thing. And ask you now, Lord, to just anoint the teaching of your word, open our hearts to it to catch exactly what you have for us here in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, the word glory, everybody just say glory. The word glory to Westerners is just weirdness. Um, almost all the newer translations would have you almost think of it as just light. Like just a brilliant light was around these shepherds and there was an angel and it was a bright light and they were like, wow, and look at the light. Um, but I want to say to you that the word glory, everybody say glory, had a very specific, way different and meatier and weightier meaning to a Jewish audience. And sometimes as Westerners, we lose something in our Westernness. Now, I'm happy to be Western and I'm happy to not be a Jew. I really am. I make no apology for that because the book of Hebrews tells me that in Christ I am now at an altar that is far and beyond anything Moses ever thought about. So I don't make any apology for not being upset that I'm not Jewish. But here's the thing. Sometimes we do actually lose some of the weight of the meaning of the scripture because we're not them. 
So I'm not going to give you a whole history lesson in Hebrew, especially since we don't have as much time. But I want you to realize that the word there for glory has nothing to do with light. The actual word there has to do with weight. Everybody say weight. Now, if you think about it, that matters because light has no weight. Weight is a different thing than light. How many can follow me? Now, we're not going to do a physics class. I said we're taking the shortcut. But in Hebrew, the idea was called Shekinah. And what it meant was the weight of a person's person, right? In the simplest, simplest terms, your glory is resting on that chair. All of you is right there, okay? Who you are is right there. Terry is sitting right there. All his weight is right there. His ideas, his passions, his ideas, his prayers, his dreams, right? Everything that makes Terry, everything that's him is right there. And that's what Hebrews were talking about with the word Shekinah. Anytime God chooses to be a place and the weight of who he is is in a place, that's the glory of God. Not a light, not a light show, not a Pink Floyd looking thing with a fog machine like Hollywood makes. I don't fault them because you couldn't, with the finest Hollywood tools, recreate the glory of God. But what it causes us to do as Westerners is go, wow, there was an angel with a light around him. But it was the glory of God. Everybody say glory. The reason this matters so much and was of such import to them that they became afraid Now, this matters, brothers and sisters. If you go through the New Testament, you will see angels show up all the time. And the people are not afraid. Angels don't make people afraid, mostly. An angel gets them out of jail in Acts chapter 5. It says nothing about them being afraid. He comes as a messenger. He goes, hey, let's leave. They all go, yeah, that's better than being arrested. They walk out. Right, An angel wakes Peter up on about Acts chapter 11 or 12, walks him right out of the jail, and it's so casual, Peter's not even sure if he's dreaming or awake. Angels show up all the time and don't scare people. But when you go through the scripture, you find something very specific about the glory of God. The glory of God is the weight of his presence and who he is, and everywhere he shows up from Genesis all the way through, he scares the buggers out of everybody. Because everybody thinks they're ready for God till he's there. Then when he's there, they panic. The scripture says things like, I fell down like a dead man. I trembled exceedingly. When God showed up to talk to Daniel, he nearly died. Why? Because we're so incompatible. In our sinful state, we are so incompatible with the brilliance of his glory that anytime he shows up, he scares everyone. These poor shepherds were just chilling, minding their bees, right? Just watching over the sheep asleep at night. Where's my shepherd people? Do they sleep at night? Do they just lay down and sleep, the sheep? Okay, so here's the shepherds chilling, sitting around, campfire, minding their own business. Here comes an angel, 
odd enough. All on its own, the shepherds would have gone, whoa, okay, wait, this never happens. But while they're looking, a whole nother thing starts to happen. The Bible said, and we shot right past it because it's like seven or eight words and we go, eh. But the Bible says, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Around. In other words, not it was over here and they were over here. God came and surrounded them with the weight of who he is. And the result was terror. We cannot be here. That's what his holiness causes. Read your Bible. Now look, if you're Pentecostal background, I understand. Every time we get goosebumps, we call it the glory. We are very bad about just apprehending the word and being like, "Woo, the glory of the Lord. We had a nice little moment of worship earlier, and I know dumb worship leaders that would declare, and the glory of the Lord was in the church. No, if the glory of the Lord sat down in the church, you would crawl underneath your chair trying to figure out how to get away from the brightness of who he is. His glory is the manifestation of the weight of his person. We have great times, and it's just his spirit. Just. Just the Holy Spirit. Just angels circling around, creating a cool atmosphere. But trust me, brothers and sisters, read his resume. When you encounter his glory, that's a whole different thing. And to these shepherds, they would have known something of what it meant. And this is what I felt like I was supposed to share with you this morning. Now, we don't have the time to unpack the whole thing, so you'll just have to go with me and do your homework. I'll give you the scriptures. You'll have to do your homework. If you go back and you read through the Old Testament, we learn something about the fact that God's glory, now follow this, is the testimony of heaven about what he approves of. Okay? If you go through the Exodus... You'll find on about chapter three, he says, Moses, you go in and tell Pharaoh and you want my people and you go get them. And then he says something. He says, and then you will serve me on this mountain. Sounds benign enough. Okay, great. We're gonna go get the people. We're gonna fight the most powerful man on earth. And after I win, we're gonna come back here and we're gonna serve you on this mountain. Great. So we all know the Exodus story, the plagues, the confrontations with Pharaoh, the various plagues leading up to the death of the firstborn, all the stuff that happens. Pharaoh lets them go. Then he decides to pursue them. Classic politician, can't make up his mind. So then when it's all said and done, God wipes away the horse and the rider in the sea. Miriam sings with the tambourine on the other side. And pretty soon they wind up. How many like that for Bible class brevity right there? They wind up. At the mountain where God said, go get them and you will serve me on this mountain. Let's look at what happened on the mountain. Exodus 19, 16. I changed my mind, Lisa. Let's go ahead and look at it. Exodus 19, verse 16. When God said, bring them out here and serve me, on this mountain, look what happens at the mountain. I have to turn my page here. Here we go. Look at this. 
It came to pass on the third day in the morning. This is God's definition of come meet with me on this mountain. There were thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. And the sound of the trumpet was very loud so that all the people who were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was completely in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. Its smoke ascended like the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mountain quaked greatly. And when the blast of the trumpet sounded long and became louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by voice, and the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. This is what God meant when he said, go get the people and they'll serve me on this mountain. He descends in such glorious power that they can't actually see him. So he conceals himself in the thickest of smoke. His presence on the mountain causes earthquakes through the whole valley. It's really fascinating because the actual Mount Sinai is in Saudi Arabia, if you didn't know, and when they found it, when they discovered it, it has fissures all through it that do not match the volcanic activity of that region because God shook the mountain to its roots when he sat down on top of it. Everybody say glory. So when he sits down on top of the mountain, how do you want to be Moses? Moses, come up here. Really? <laughs> okay. He terrified everybody. Why? With his glory. Why is the mountain quaking? Because he's not sending a visitation. It's not a vision. It's not a dream. It's his person standing on top of the mountain. And the scripture couldn't be more clear. Then God came down upon Mount Sinai. And he scares everybody to death, and this is his glory. Everybody say glory. So see, this is important because it means that when it says the glory of God surrounded the shepherds, we're not talking about a light. We're talking about the weight of who God was came and attended to and testified to the birth of his son. Now, when you go through the Old Testament from there, there's a whole story about the glory, and we don't have a lot of time. We talked about it once before, Exodus, by the end of chapter 40 of Exodus, and they've built the whole tabernacle, and they built it exactly the way God said build it. And some of you have read that and remember that. It says the glory of the Lord came and filled the tabernacle, and even though everything about it was prepared exactly the way he said, the Bible says they were ready, they were ready, he showed up, and they ran. It says Moses didn't even want to go in there because the glory of the Lord had filled the tabernacle and God based their existence on his glory. Everybody say glory. The scripture's clear. If the glory of God moved, they moved. If they got up in the morning and he didn't move, they stayed right there because of the weight of his presence. Everything had to be right. Everything had to be perfect because he's holy. Everybody say he's holy. You get on down the line in Exodus, the people make God mad. 
Super big shock. God gets upset. He goes, if I keep living in the middle of the camp, I'll kill him. So let's move the tent outside of the camp. And the Bible says at that point, they changed the name from tabernacle to tent of meeting because only Moses could go out and talk to God then. God moves out of town. Why? Because of the sin in the camp. Everybody say sin. Doesn't mix with glory. And so, so we, we keep following this trail. We have David wanting to build a temple. God doesn't let him do it. Solomon builds the temple. Read the book and find out that when Solomon got it right, everything about it was exactly double the proportions of the original tabernacle. Everything consecrated, everything anointed, and they were ready for God, and they were ready, and they were ready, and then he showed up, and then they ran. Everybody say glory. So the glory of the Lord filled the temple and they didn't even know what to do about it. They were so sure that they were prepared. And then when he was there, <laughs> they left. Old historians have a, a, a myth that they say was passed down through Jewish lore that Solomon had to beg the priests that they had consecrated to go in there. He had to like, hey, no, come back. Remember, we spent three years getting ready to do this. Come on. Because they were going, uh-uh. Everybody say glory. Ezekiel tells us by the 10th chapter that the sin of the people has gone on and on and on and on until some of the scariest words in the Bible are recorded. It says the glory of the Lord departed. The people had sinned against God repeatedly. They would not repent for every prophet, for everything God sent. And Ezekiel chapter 10 records the fact that the cherubim came down. They flapped their wings until the ground began to shake and the glory of the Lord departed. God said, I will no longer have the weight in the person of who I am dwell with you. And his glory did not, by our record of the scripture, his glory did not touch the earth again until some shepherds were watching over their flocks by night. And the God of heaven said, now I'm going to show you what I'm doing now. And I'm going to testify to it with my glory. Now, if you consider the miracle of the New Testament in comparison to the Old Testament, what I just said to you is truly remarkable. Throughout the Old Testament, if you got everything right, you were allowed to see a glimpse of him through a veil. If you got everything right, if you were born of the right family, if you were trained perfectly, if you had kept yourself undefiled by sin, if nobody could bring a single charge against you, then you were allowed one day out of the year maybe to go in there and sort of see him. Some of the prophets got to see him. All of them nearly died in the process. By the time Isaiah was done seeing the Lord, he was nearly dead. Daniel had the same experience. Everybody say glory. What an astonishing thing God does that at the birth of Jesus, 
at the birth of Jesus. He's not shed his blood yet. Hasn't even died on the cross yet. By the own words of Jesus 30 years later when he begins his public ministry, we are still very much under the old covenant because Christ has not died. And yet in anticipation of the redemptive power of Jesus Christ, the glory of God surrounds a bunch of worthless and and ignored and ridiculed shepherds on the side of a mountain who have not prepared, they have not washed, they have not trained, they have not prayed, they have not worshipped, they haven't gotten one thing right, and yet the glory of the Lord surrounds them, and they are greatly afraid because even if their Jewish understanding was only this deep, they know that they can't be there and yet they are. And the angel has to say to them, calm down. (laughs) I come with good news. I sure hope because we all are feeling pretty much like we are going to die any moment. It is in that moment and in that context, my dear friends, that they say, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Don't lose the setting. The promise we celebrate was spoken to men who were sitting in the glory of the Lord so acutely aware of their sin and unrighteousness that they are trembling in fear before the holiness of God. And it is to those men that God says, don't panic, there's a savior for you. Do you realize it's God saying in Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of me. Because of what I'm going to do with my son, you don't have to tremble in terror when I draw near. When I'm done with this, we're going to spend time together again, just like it was at the garden at the beginning. Because where every Old Testament lamb covered the sin, John the Baptist declared, behold, the lamb of God who takes away You know those scriptures we shout about where he casts my sin as far as east is from west. And hyper-intellectual folks go like, well, that doesn't make any sense at all because actually those lines would never meet. Precisely. That's sort of the point. God's attending to these shepherds with his glory is massively important. And I felt like he just wanted us to take 10 minutes and think about it and appreciate it. That where throughout he said, you're going to come, you're going to be my people. How am I going to know, God? Because I'm going to be there. This will be my testimony. I will be there. That's what he told Moses. This will be a sign to you when you come out because I'll be there. When they made him mad and it was time to go into the promised land, what did God say? I'll send an angel before you, but I'm not going with you. And Moses said, how in the world will they know we're your people if you don't go? Without you, we just look like everybody else. 
We have to be where you are because you're the one that makes all the difference. So by the time the glory of the Lord departs in Ezekiel chapter 10, you are talking about one of the most heartbreaking things in your entire Bible, that God would finally have to give up trying to abide with the people that he rescued from Egypt. 400 years of silence passed between Malachi and John the Baptist. Did you know that? Four complete centuries with no prophet, no preacher, and no light. And then the glory of the Lord surrounds a bunch of shepherds on a hillside. And God says, I bring you good news that will be for all the people. In the Old Testament, I only talk to prophets. In the Old Testament, if you were a king, maybe. In the Old Testament, if you were completely chosen, sanctified, and a priest, you might catch a glimpse. God's saying, let me tell you how how crazy this new plan is. With the power of my son, you don't have to be a priest. You could be a prostitute and come. In the power of my son, you don't have to be a king. You could be a tax collector and get close to me. In the power of my son, not only could you have not gotten it right every day, you could have gotten it wrong every single day and yet turn to me and come because I will be your God and you will be my people. I am confident that when we get to heaven, the reason we have no problem worshiping for eternity is because we're going to finally get it. When we stand there and behold the glory of the Lord, everybody say glory. When you realize that part of, part of him was living in me, and yet I did my life the way I did. When we encounter his holiness, and when we realize that for all the junk in us, he kept saying, come. That's why we fall on our faces for eternity, brothers and sisters. Grace will be so much more amazing on that day than it has ever been to our feeble little minds. We turn the gospel into a church service. We turn the gospel into church membership. We turn the gospel into a list of do's and don'ts. Yeah, I signed a membership card. Yeah, I got baptized. We, we turn it into all of these little mechanical things. But the Bible says for the genuinely born again, there's a day where we stand before the throne of God. And I am telling you, when we see the glory of the Lord for ourselves, the reason why he wipes every tear away is because we begin to weep. And the reason that we weep is how we lived this life in light of who he is. The greatest thing you could ever do is apprehend who God really is. And I know our whole culture is confused. Well, there's not just one. And that's going to sound good to them until they see him. Like I told you, read through the Bible. Every time they thought they were ready for him, They weren't. My good friend Daniel Rubicaba always says, brother, anytime people accuse you of being intense, 
Just remind them that when one moment with the presence of Jesus and they're going to turn to you and say you weren't intense at all. See, sometimes we need to take 20 minutes and stop being Americans and stop being Westerners and stop being little secular humanists that are running around trying to figure out how to get more crap under our tree and think of who it is we are talking to when we say the name Jesus. So that when we sing a simple song, oh, come and let us adore him. That makes perfect sense if I see who he is. You are worthy of it all. I looked around the earth. All of this should be serving you. That would make sense because of who you are. And some lost family member or some, some little, you know, little darkened sinner, oh, that's too much. I don't think it takes all of that to serve the Lord. Well, then you just keep on sitting over there in the camp with the Gentiles if you want to. I'm going to come over here and be a lover of God. Because I heard God say the greatest commandment of them all was love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, Lord, I don't know if I love you that good, but I never miss church. <clears throat> Wrong answer. Fall in love with the grandeur of who he is. Everybody just say glory. When Christmas time came around, God did not turn on a mag light from heaven I know Hollywood tries, but no, it was the weight of him for that announcement. Unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the singular Lord. Amen? Thanks again for stopping by. If you'd like any more info about us, feel free to swing by wellsprings.church. Have a blessed day.